Turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2, continuing our verse-by-verse study to the New Testament. I want to encourage you to read ahead Joshua chapter 7 for Wednesday night in preparation for our study on Wednesday. A couple things real quick. I know Pastor Bill mentioned it. December 7th. When I was a youth pastor, most of you know I was a youth pastor for almost 15 years. We used to do a thing called Life 2000 in San Jose. And by the grace of God, we'd, we'd be praying for months ahead of time. We'd give out invitations to the youth group kids. We'd have a couple thousand teenagers show up. And we always had the Pottersfield ministry start off first. And I just want to tell you, it sounds odd. He's a master potter. He literally makes a pot and shares the gospel at the same time. Now, he's not smoking pot and sharing the gospel. He's making a pot. All right? But I want to tell you something. It's an encouragement to believers... I've seen it 15 times. It, it, I, I weep every time. It just is powerful. And it's one of those things where people are walking out saying, if I had known, I would have invited so-and-so. So I'm telling you ahead of time, start praying. And you know what? Pray, because as I was praying this morning, uh, God put it on my heart that since they're going to be here, to try to get them into either Monta Vista Christian to do chapel or try to get them into Baymont. So be praying about that. Just something that was on my heart this morning. And so, you know, pray for that event. Pray for people you can invite. We should always be inviting people to church. But sometimes there's a special event that, other, that people might come to when they might not normally come. So may we be salt and light. We want to see people saved. Amen? That's why we're here. That's the Great Commission. That's what it's all about. And then secondly, you know I'm not a real political guy, but I'm going to be political this morning for a second. You guys got this flyer in your, in your uh, bulletin if you got one. You know, it's amazing to me that your 15-year-old daughter can't be given an aspirin without your permission. Your 15-year-old, 16- or 17-year-old daughter can't go on a field trip unless you sign off on it. She can't have her teeth pulled. She can't have anything like that done. But if she's 13 years old and her boyfriend wants to take her down to have an abortion, she can do that. Or, or that one of the counselors at school can take her down and she can kill her baby without you knowing about it. That's just wrong. Amen? That's just wrong. And so, again, you know I'm not a real political guy. I don't get up here and talk about politics. I'd rather just talk about Jesus myself. But at the same time, I believe that we should get out in Mass on Tuesday and vote yes on 73. Amen? And be praying for God's will to be done because there's babies' lives hanging in the balance. May we never take that lightly. All right, Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to pick up in the second half where we left off before I went to India. And as we, and I told you last week, an incredible trip. Keep praying for our GFA missionaries. God's doing a phenomenal work over in India. Praise God that we can be a part of it. But just by way of quick review to catch you up, Paul's writing this letter to the church in Ephesus. Ephesus was a city that was extremely wealthy and extremely idolatrous. It was a city that had, from the world's perspective, been very blessed, but at the same time was a city that was very godless. Now, in the midst of all that, Paul comes in on his third missionary journey, and as often happens with Paul, he either starts a revival or a riot, and in this case, he started both. He shared the gospel. So many people got saved. They came out and took their idols of the goddess Diana and these little silver idols, and they started to destroy them and also take all their witchcraft books and set them on fire and the people who worshiped diana got so upset especially those who made their money of selling the diana idols they were so upset that they began to have a riot and the riot they screamed out for two hours great is the goddess diana great is the goddess diana can you imagine shouting that out for two hours 
Now, as I've said many times before, you can shout what you want as long as you want. It doesn't make it the truth. And the truth is that the goddess Diana, the goddess of sexual immorality, is the goddess that's in a sense still alive today. And people are trying to follow anything but the true and living God. And you know what? We need Jesus. And Paul made a very clear declaration of that. And praise God, a church rose up in Ephesus. But sadly, ten years have gone by, and Paul's now in prison. And as he's in prison, word comes back to him that in Ephesus and in the surrounding region, that again... They started to pursue the riches of the world. And they were getting turned away to the false gods of this world. Can I encourage you with something? Maybe you're here today. You're born again. You know you're going to heaven. And you remember when you were first saved, how on fire for God you were. I've had people say to me, you know, Pastor Dave, you know, hey, well, you're new. You're new in your faith, I'll say to somebody. Don't worry. You'll get over that. You know, that'll die down after a while. May we never get over it. Amen? May it never die down. May we never water it down. May we never be happy being lukewarm in our faith. And so Paul writes this letter back to the church in Ephesus, and he reminds them that their riches are not in the world, but their riches are in Christ. He says, you guys, your riches are in Christ. And in chapter 1, we saw the work of the Father and the work of the Son and the work of the Spirit, that we've been blessed and chosen and adopted and accepted and redeemed and enlightened and assured and given an inheritance and sealed by the Spirit. And all those, those are our riches in Christ. And now in chapter 2, he's been talking about our position in Christ. Our riches are in Christ, and our position is in Christ. And the word that we see most often, or the phrase that we see most often, in Ephesians, is the term in Him or in Christ. Because, guys, it's in Him that we're rich. It's in Christ that we have hope. It's in Him that we have peace. Apart from Him, there's no hope, there's no peace, there's no joy. Period. And there's, you know what, there's no promise of heaven. There's no salvation to come. So as we come to the second half of Ephesians chapter 2, in a message I entitled, Brought Near by the Blood. Those of you who take notes. So again, in chapter 1, we saw our riches in Christ. Beginning in chapter 2, we've been seeing our position in Christ. And last week, what we saw was that he identified who we were before we came to know Christ. He's going to do that again in the text this morning. You know, we constantly need to be reminded of what we've come from. We need to be reminded. Now, we don't look back at our past, and we don't have to go back and dredge up our baggage and our issues. You know, he whose son sets free is free indeed. Amen? We're new creations in Christ. We've been born again. We're filled with the Spirit of the living God. It's not who I was outside of Christ. It's who I am in Christ. But at the same time, we need to be reminded of what we've been forgiven. He that's been forgiven much loves much. And as we look back at the work that Christ has done for us, it should, again, be an encouragement to us. We also saw God's work for us. If you remember last week, he told them, you're separated from God. You're following Satan's lead. You're being ruled by the flesh. You're children of wrath. You're outside of God's will. And then he said two words. Who remembers what they were? Anybody. But God, somebody. Praise God, somebody was listening last week. It encourages me, all right? But then it's two great words in verse 4. But God. Here's who you were, but God. Separated, but God. Outside of His will, but God. No hope of eternity, but God. But God in His grace and His mercy paid the price for us that we might be restored unto Himself. And praise the Lord for that. So this week, as we pick up in verse 11, 
and looking at our position in Christ, that we've been brought near by the blood, we're going to see that in Jesus, Jesus Christ is our source of forgiveness. He provides redemption. He is our source of fellowship. He reconciles us to God. And He is our sure foundation. He's the rock on which we stand. So if you take notes, He's our source of forgiveness. He's our source of fellowship. And He is our sure foundation. And again, a great reminder of who we were outside of Christ and who we are now in Christ. Let's begin looking in verse 11. Brought near by the blood, Jesus is our source of forgiveness, providing redemption for sin, allowing us to come near to Him. Look at verse 11. Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands. He says, therefore remember that you were once Gentiles in the flesh. Paul again wants them to remember where they came from. You know what? We're never going to walk around self-righteous and arrogant about our faith if we remember where we came from. I'm one beggar leading another beggar to the bread. I'm a sinner saved by grace, and so are you. Amen? But if we forget where we've come from, we start walking around and get self-righteous. Paul's reminding them, this is who you were. You were Gentiles, uncircumcised. Now, what is the significance of being Gentiles in the flesh? Is this thing too high or something? It's like I'm killing you guys. All right. He says, Gentiles in the flesh. They were born in a position of sin and separation from God, and they were under control of the flesh. They were subject to the control of their fleshly appetites. And we as Christians need to remember that the Bible tells us you're either a slave to sin or you're a slave to righteousness. You're either born again in a new creation in Christ or you're dead in your trespasses and sins. And there's no middle ground with God. He says you're either for me or you're against me. And he's reminding them you used to be against God. He's reminding them you were outside of his will. He's reminding them you were following after the appetites of your flesh. That's who you were. And that's who each and every one of us was. We as Christians need to be remembered what we've been delivered from because it produces hearts of humility and brokenness and repentance and gratitude. Now they were called the uncircumcision. Now remember, this was a, a slam from the Jews. This was a way of calling someone a pagan idolater and using other terms. Because circumcision was a picture of that covenant between God and Israel. And remember, often they would call people uncircumcised. Remember when David fought Goliath? Goliath, the Philistine, 11 foot 750, coming down to the bottom of the Valley of Elah, stomping his feet for 40 days. And every day saying, send out your champion. And all the Israelites, you know, oh, and they didn't want to fight him because they were fearful, because they looked from a physical perspective rather than a spiritual one. And then David shows up, this teenage boy, this shepherd, bringing cheese to his brothers. He was like the milkman, okay? He's bringing cheese to his brothers. He shows up. He hears Goliath coming down to the bottom of the Valley of Elah, and he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that comes against my God? The lack of circumcision showed a lack of commitment to God. I compare it today to baptism. You know, circumcision was an outward marking of an inward commitment, and baptism today is an outward statement of an inward change. 
When we're baptized, it's a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It's a picture of us dying to the person we used to be and now being resurrected in Him. And it's a public confession of an inward change. And so the apostle, the apostle Paul here is reminding them, guys, you were once called the uncircumcision. The Jews also called them Gentile dogs. Now, this is a term of contempt, and this is who they were. The Jews were circumcised, but you know what? The Jews were only circumcised in the flesh, and true circumcision must come of the heart. The key is not how we mark ourselves outwardly, but how we've been transformed inwardly that matters. And again, most of the converts in the Ephesian church were Gentiles, and they were uncircumcised in the flesh, and they were outside of the Lord's covenant, and the Jews, again, looked at them in a derogatory way. We're going to see today that we're going to be brought near by the blood as he talks to them, but we're going to see that he's going to break down not only the wall between God and man, but the wall between man and man. You know, as Christians... You know, it's been said that, that blood is thicker than water, but the Holy Spirit is thicker than blood. You know, yesterday I was on a, my son had a Pop Warner football game in East Palo Alto, and they have this thing where you keep track of all the plays, and they assign you to a, another guy. And the week before they had played them, and they played them again in the playoffs, and I met a man up there, and, you know, we spent three hours together just talking about Jesus. And what's awesome is, I told him, I said, you know what, we got Jesus in common. You know, it's interesting. We go to different denominational churches. The color of our skin is different. Uh, his age, he's twice my age. And from every perspective, we have nothing in common. When you have Jesus in common, you got everything in common. Man looks on the outward appearance and God looks on the heart. Amen? And the point is that here I am, that wall's been broken down. And we have Christ in common. And we're brothers in the Lord. And I'll tell you, it was, it was awesome. And that's the way it ought to be in the body. And what he's saying here again is, look, you're the uncircumcision. You are outside of God's covenant. You are hopeless, as he's going to say here in the coming verses. Look what he says in verse 12. That at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. He says, guys, you were without Christ, you were without knowledge of the Messiah, you were without hope, you had no atonement for your sins, you didn't have any promise of being forgiven, you had no hope of eternal life, you were condemned, you were walking in darkness, and you were an alien and stranger to Almighty God. That's who we are if we don't know Christ. Now, that's not real politically correct, is it? The political correct thing is, well, there's many paths to God. As long as you believe something with sincerity, you'll be just fine. That is the biggest lie of the devil going. Because the truth is that Jesus alone is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by Him. Only through Jesus Christ. And when we start watering down the gospel, we start making him a liar on the cross when he said, it is finished. And so what he's saying here is, guys, let me remind you of who you were. You were without Christ. You were without hope. I cannot even imagine. Can I tell you that as, as happens every time I go on a missions trip, my prayer life's been more fervent, and it should always be that way. But you know what? I am so brokenhearted for the lost right now, I can't even tell you. It absolutely grips me. I started praying for my kids' friends by name. I'm praying for the kids they know that just don't know the Lord. I have such a heart to see people saved. And I can't imagine living life without Jesus. Can you imagine living life without? I can't imagine. I try to put myself in their shoes. What do they think about? You know, when I wake up in the morning, I'm thinking about Jesus. 
When I'm walking around during the day, Lord, direct and guide and lead my life. I can't imagine living life without him. And it breaks my heart. He says, guys, you were Christless. You were hopeless. You were outside of his will, outside of his love, outside of his grace. You were doomed. You were separated. That's who you were. And you know what, guys? That's who we were. And we need to remember that, that we were sinners in desperate need of a Savior. Having rejected the work of the cross, the world today is hopeless and godless and walking in darkness, trusting in their own morals or their former religious beliefs or their good works. And again, it's so sad to see a world without a Savior. As he says at the end of that verse, but sadder still is the state of the man who doesn't have a Savior. Sinful carnal man lives and feels and acts as if there's no God. He doesn't worship God. You know, you talk to people about worshiping God and they'll go, you ever talk to anybody about worshiping God? And they, you worship God? They get this look on their face. Yeah. Every day we worship God. Amen? And they'll say, worship God? Foreign concept. It's a foreign concept to think about seeking God's will for your life. It's a foreign concept to put faith in someone outside of yourself. It's a foreign concept as they walk around not fearing God. A man without God is a man without hope, a man without promise, a man without peace, a man without life. They're dead in their trespasses and sins. Now, I don't say that self-righteously. I say that brokenheartedly. My heart breaks. Lord, remove the scales from their eyes. May they see their need for you. Remember who you were. You were without Christ. Jesus Christ is my best friend. He's my Savior. He's my Lord. He's my best friend. I can't imagine living life without him. And that's what the world does every single day. Guys, we shouldn't be surprised when people who don't know Christ act like they don't know Christ. You know, people say, well, the world ought to... Well, no, they don't know God. Are you surprised when a dog barks? Dogs bark. And unbelievers act like unbelievers. Now, we ought to be surprised when those actions are coming out of the church, though. Amen? We are to be different. People should be attracted to us not because we're like the world, but because we're so different. Jesus Christ has transformed my life. I used to be a dead corpse, now I'm a new creation in Him. I ought to look a little different. You know, when Lazarus was resurrected, he looked a little different than he did hopping around in his grave clothes. And the same ought to be true for you and I. And so he begins this section by saying, here's who you were, without Christ, without hope, without any promise, without life. But look, here's the good news. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were afar off have been brought near by your good works. Is that what it says? You've been brought near by going to church every Sunday. You've been brought near by being more moral than the guy next to you. It says you've been brought near by what? What does it say? The blood of Christ. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but what? The blood of Jesus. Nothing else can save me. Nothing else can transform my life. Nothing else can bring me hope. Nothing else can forgive my sins. You know, I love God's math. One cross plus three nails equals four given. Amen? You know, one cross plus three nails equals four given. It's the cross of Christ that paid the price for us. And we've been forgiven. We've been brought near. You know, we were far away from God and we're not anymore. We can have intimate fellowship with the creator of the universe. How awesome is that? You know what? I can call him Abba Father, which means daddy. 
And daddy's never far away. Amen? Daddy's always nearby. He's somebody whose lap I can crawl up into. He's somebody I can know intimately and personally and I can walk with in such a close way. And people talk about God. Oh, he's far away. Not our God. Amen? He says they're brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, may this be an encouragement to you. We are to walk in holiness. God's called us to. But can I encourage you that you were brought near again, not because of the works you've done, but the work he did. It's grace that draws us close. Not what I've done, what he did. Accepting it, repenting, being born again. Not good works, not religious pursuits, not moral behavior. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. We have the hope of glory. We're seated in the heavenlies in Christ. We've been redeemed. We were once aliens, now we're citizens. We were once strangers, and now we're friends. We were once hopeless and godless and worldly and condemned, and now we're his children adopted into his family. Man, that's good news. Nothing better than that. Here's who you were, but now you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. You've been brought near into intimate fellowship, adopted into his family. You know what's interesting? The high priest only came into the Holy of Holies once a year, and he had to have something with him or he'd be struck down dead. The blood of the sacrifice. If he didn't have the blood, he could not come near. And you know what? You and I cannot come near without the blood of the sacrifice. Passover. They had to slay the lamb, but it wasn't good enough just to slay the lamb. They had to take the blood and apply the blood to the doorpost. It had to be in the shape of the cross for the angel of death to pass over. It's not good enough to just have the blood or believe in Christ. It's, we must apply it to our lives. We can't just believe that there is a God. We must know that he is our God. Amen? We must pursue him ourselves, have the intimate fellowship with him. You know what? When Jesus died on the cross, we know it went dark, and now as it went dark, there was a great earthquake, and something happened. The veil was torn. And that holy of holies that only the high priest could enter into now was made available to every single one of us in this room. You know what I love? I love that I can enter into the most holy place while driving in my car down the freeway. I love that I can enter in anywhere, anyway, any, you know what, Lord, come because Jesus is interceding for me, and I can come in, be brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. Only the high priest could come with the blood. Now we come by his blood, and we have intimate fellowship with the creator of the universe. So, Jesus Christ, through his shed blood, is our source of forgiveness. He's redeemed us from our sin. We were uncircumcised, unclean, unholy, but now we've been brought near by the blood. He's not only our source of forgiveness, but he's our source of fellowship. He reconciled us back to God and to each other. He broke down the wall between God and man and the wall between men. And he turned enemies into brothers. Here's the thing, you guys. When I'm in India, halfway around the world, we were atoned by the same blood. When you meet somebody who goes to a different... Same blood, same gospel, same message, same God, same Savior, same Lord... Same cross, same message. We're one in Christ. We belong to the same family. You know, I said to the brother yesterday, we hugged each other when we left, and I said, you know, if he took my card and said he might keep in touch with me. He was asking some questions about some family members and things, and I said, you know, brother, here's the good news. I may not see you again here 
we're going to be hanging out together forever. And that's so true. You guys better start getting along now because you better just get used to each other. Amen? We're going to be billions of, I mean, there's no time in heaven. So we need to just start loving on each other now and start getting a taste of it. So now we see again our source of fellowship. Look what it says in verse 14. For he himself is our peace. Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace, and without him we can have no peace. There is no peace. Years ago I used to, and I still do on occasion, because I love to just share my faith wherever I can. I think I'll ChristianForum.com, and I'll go in there sometime and just to ask pastors advice and counsel, and I, I go on there and just give people counsel. And at the same time, uh, I remember years ago, some guy just being so aggravated and talking about, you know, he was just, and I said, bro, you don't have any peace. He said, and he wrote back, what do you mean I don't have any peace? You know, kind of thing. <laughs> and I said, because you don't have Jesus, you can't have peace. He said, you can't tell me I don't have peace. I said, you don't have Jesus, you can't have peace. Because without the Prince of Peace, we cannot have peace. And he says, Jesus Christ is our peace. You know what, I can have peace in the midst of the storm if I've got Jesus Christ, and I won't have peace in the, in the middle of the palace if I don't have him. Daniel in the lion's den. King Darius is up in the palace, and all night long he's renting his clothes, and he's ripping everything, and he's tormented all night, and Daniel's in the lion's den napping. Why? Because the prince did not have, or King Darius did not have a relationship with God, but Daniel did. There's more peace in the lion's den with the Lord than in the palace without him. He is our peace. And we need to take our eyes off the waves and get our eyes on the Savior. Take our eyes off the lions and put our eyes on the Lord. And we will have peace no matter what our circumstances. For he himself is our peace. And it says there, who made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. Now what's this, this middle wall? In those days, when you went to the temple, you would walk in and there was a wall in the middle and only the Jews could go into the, quote, inner court. And the Gentiles and the women had to stay outside. Now what's interesting is that there was a sign that said, if a Gentile went into the inner court, the, the, the consequence was immediate death. And so you had separation in the temple. You had the Jews on the inside and the Gentiles on the outside. You had the men on the inside and the women on the outside. And he says here that Jesus did what? He broke down the middle wall of separation. There is no longer Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female. We're all one in Christ. Amen? Aren't you glad there wasn't a wall back here when you came in? All right, let me see your baptismal certificate. All right, how long have you been saved? All right, second row. Yeah, I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine? Praise God that we're one in Christ. Praise God that middle wall's been broken down. Praise God that there's, again, there's, no, you know what, guys, can I tell you something? It grips my heart that there's still prejudice within the church today. That's wrong. Amen? We got Jesus in common. We got everything in common. We're one in Christ, period. Period. We, we love the Lord. And you know, or, or how long we've been saved, or how arrogant we can get about things, or, 
Stop it already. We're all sinners in desperate need of a Savior. And you know what? We're just servants, every single one of us. Every one of us. No matter what your position or whatever it is that you've been called to, you're a servant. And so for the Gentiles, there had been a warning before that they couldn't enter in. And now, through the cross of Christ, the wall's been broken down, and the Jews and Gentiles have, the equal, have equal access to God. And can I say this, just from my own heart for you guys? Some people today still think that Jews have a closer access to God than the Gentiles. That's a mistake. Does God still have a plan for the Jewish people? Yes, He does. He's still going to do it. And we need to pray for the peace of Israel. That's what the Bible tells us to do. We need to do that. But let me say this. The Jewish nation is in rebellion and it needs Jesus right now. Amen? And we often, I, I, there's Christians that are running back to the Torah and kissing the Torah and wanting to keep all the festivals. What are you doing? It is finished. Amen? It's done. The cross of Christ. I don't draw near by, you know, Passover anymore. Passover was pointing to something. The cross. We don't want less than the cross. We want all that God has for us. We don't want to miss out on it. The wall's been broken down. We have equal access to God. And Paul, remember this, Paul's writing this epistle from prison. You know why he's in prison? Because the Jews accused him of bringing a Gentile into the inner court. That's why he's sitting in prison while he writes this. Praise God that Paul's not trying to be politically correct. Well, I better write here that it's still wrong for them to go so that when the judge sees it later. I mean, you know what I mean? Paul didn't do that at all. Paul said the wall's been torn down. Bring them in. And can, you know what? I, when I was a youth pastor, one of the things that used to really break my heart was to hear youth pastors who would be so judgmental towards teenagers in the way they dressed. Or, you know what? Here's my heart right now. I want to see people saved. And once they're saved, let God work it out in their heart. You want to have purple hair? God bless you, have purple hair. Who cares? I remember one kid who came to our youth group, he had this purple mohawk that was like spiked and was like this tall. And he came in, and he was just waiting to see how I'd react. And I just hugged him and said, man, I'm really glad you're here. And he, told, he got saved later, and later he told me, he goes, dude, I was just waiting to shock the pastor. I was at home spraying that thing and combing it up. Wait till he gets a load of me, you know. And he walked in, and I just said, hey, bro, I'm glad you're here. God bless you. You know, they had piercings and stuff. That's all right. Here's the thing. Let the Lord work that out in your heart. Man looks in the outward appearance, God looks on the heart. They gave Jesus heed for, you know, ministering to publicans and sinners. Isn't that who needs to be ministered to? Now, he didn't come for the righteous, but for the sinful. I'm glad because I'm one of them. He came to save people like me. I'm so glad. And Paul writes this epistle. He makes it clear. In Christ, the wall's been torn down. Jesus in common, everything in common. No middle wall of separation anymore. Verse 15. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of the commandments, contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. He abolished in his flesh. What is that referring to? The cross. He paid for it where? In his what? In his flesh. 
He abolished in his flesh. He destroyed these walls of separation at the cross, and he got rid of the enmity or the division between the Jews and the Gentiles. Now remember, in context, he's writing these Ephesian believers. more Gentiles and letting them know we're all one in Christ. There's not Jew and Gentile anymore. There's Christian and unbeliever. They're just Christians now. Amen? By the way, this another thing. I was getting in trouble when I say that, huh? But another thing. I don't get the whole completed Jew program. I don't get it. Like that's some... Okay, praise God. That's wonderful. But either we're Christians or we're not. Amen? Like there's levels of Christianity. Well, I'm twice blessed because... Well, no, you're once blessed because you've been born again and that's all the blessings you need. Amen? You don't need five... I'm fifth blessed because I have a pastor's kid and a Jew and a thing and a bat... No. Either Christians or we're not. We're either born again or we're not. We're either in this family or we're not. We, we need to quit making differentiations there because, again, it starts to make it sound like there's some special path to God for certain people. There's all this, we all come the same way. We all come through the same Savior. We all come through the shed blood of the cross. Now, he says here, he's, what has he done away with? The law of the commandments. Now, what is he talking about? He's talking about, again, these, these law of commandments, these ordinances that... The source of contention between the Jews and the Gentiles. Why were the Jews upset with the Gentiles? Because the Gentiles didn't keep the Mosaic Law. But let me ask you a question. Were the Jews keeping the Mosaic Law? Uh, no. This is why they needed a Savior, amen? The law is a mirror to reveal that we are sinners in need of a Savior. The law is a taskmaster, a schoolmaster that leads us to the cross. So the mirror up in front of the eyes of the Jews revealed to them they needed to be saved. Well, they were upset because they weren't keeping the law. Well, they weren't keeping the law either. And what he says is, look, I've gotten rid of the ordinances, and it's not about the law anymore. It's about me. Do you know Christ? Have you been born again? Jews were trying to keep the law. They were failing. Gentiles didn't have the law. They were failing. Jesus broke down the wall. They were all one in him and in Christ, not in fleshly heritage, in Christ they were new creations. In himself, look what he says, he created one new man from the two. Again, I know I'm making this point, but Paul is, so I'm just following his lead. Jews, Gentiles, Christians. One man, no longer division, one in Christ. And you know what? It grieves the heart of God. There's so much division within the body of Christ today. You know, we're not Calvary Chapelites. We're Christians. Amen? We're Christians. I'm not going to stand before Almighty God with my Calvary Chapel business card. There it is, Lord, you know. You're not going to get your get-out-of-hell-free card. I walked the aisle, prayed the prayer, Calvary Chapel Santa Cruz on the... Here's, here's the thing. Pastor Dave signed it, right? That's not going to help. We're not going to have the Baptist section in heaven and the... Meth, you know, we're not going to have that. We're just Christians. We need to bring that wall down and quit being so separated. And, well, we're of this. We're, no, we're of Jesus. I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Peter. No, we're of Jesus. Him alone. And he's the one we follow. And it says there, later in the in Scripture, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. And again, the person we used to be is dead. From the two, thus making peace. Where there were once strife 
and contentions, there's now peace in Christ. Once we come to know the Lord, the temporal differences are no longer important. We go from being enemies to being brothers. All those things in the past, all those differences we might have culturally or economically or whatever, mean nothing once we come to know Christ. That's the ultimate source of reconciliation. Look what he says. That he might reconcile them both to God in one body. What body is he talking about? The church. Very good. Now it's through the body of Christ that we can become the body of Christ. Amen? Through the work of the cross, we become one body. How many bodies are there? There's one. We're one in Christ. The wall's been torn down. There's no separation in God's eyes between these guys and it. We're one in Christ. And He's reconciled us back, both Jews and Gentiles. Both have been alienated from God, but now through the cross, they've been reconciled to God into one body. Jew, Gentile, man, woman, slave, free, barbarian, and Scythian, as it says in Colossians. We're all one in Christ now. And that's such a blessing. And, you know, again... When you meet another believer, it shouldn't be about what we disagree on, but what we have in common. And what we have in common is the cross of Christ. Start there. Start there. You know, a, a thing that's really prevalent in the church today is people having their agenda of trying to convert other Christians to their way of thinking and doctrine. Huge. Especially for pastors. We had a guy here who was here for a couple years who told me that God sent him here to straighten me out. Not that I don't need some straightening. I'm sure I do. But the point I'm making is his whole agenda every week was to try to spend five, six, eight hours with me convincing me how this doctrine was wrong and you need to be straightened out about this and you need to be fixed about this and you... And, and then he'd go around to everybody at church and you need your doctrine straightened. And, and I remember saying to him, let me ask you a question. How many people have you talked about your doctrine this week? How many people, how many unbelievers have you shared with about Jesus this week? You know, we need to stop being so focused on our pet doctrine and start preaching Jesus Christ him crucified and risen from the dead from the mountaintops is what we need to be doing. Amen? Amen? Because we're not going to get to heaven and go, oh, see, you know, we're not going to do that. <laughs> we're just not going to. And it's always the most petty things. Well, I believe when you baptize, just be in Jesus' name only, not the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, because here's why. Write a 47-page paper. You know. Dude, your next-door neighbors are going to hell without Jesus. How about that? Instead of trying to convert me to your way of thinking, quit going after Christians. Let's go after the unbelievers, amen? Let's reach out to them in love. Instead of trying to convert everybody to be, uh, you know, of, of me. He said, there's what, the wall's been torn down. God, you know, and I, again, I want to say this. Certainly we need to understand what we believe and why we believe it, okay? And certainly I have, you know, and it's funny because people always call me like I've never heard this before. Let me tell you, let me explain something to you. Have you read the, yeah, I've read the Bible, it's okay. Yeah, I, I do know that. But I want to say this. I know what I believe and why I believe it, but I'm not going to strain in a gnat. I'm not going to fight over things, as Paul says, you know, things that are, just aren't important to the kingdom of God. Let's instead be united and focused in reaching out to... You know what it does? When Christians bicker over non-essentials, it keeps the unbelievers from seeing the love of Christ in us. Look at the Christians can't even agree with each other. Why would I want to follow their God? All they do is fight with each other. Like that joke I heard about a guy, they find him on a desert island and he had three huts built. 
And he said, they said, what's that? Well, that's my house. I said, what's that? That's my house of worship. That's my church. He said, what's the other one? That's the church I used to go to. <laughs> Guys buy him stuff. But it's so true that people look at Christians and they see us just bouncing. And there's just, you know, this division within the body of Christ. It's just sad. And he says, we're one in Christ. The wall's been torn down. He's put to death the enmity. He's put to death the separation. He's put to death the differences that we once had. We're one in Christ. You know one of the reasons I love coming to see you guys? I love coming to see you guys because I'm praying for you throughout the week. And when I see you on Sunday, I'm excited because you're my family. And I love you. I really, I'm not just saying that. So come back next week, okay? If you know that's not true, or otherwise I would probably water down some of the stuff I do say. Amen? But here's the point. The point is that we're family. We have Jesus in common. We're going to spend eternity together. This ought to be sweet fellowship on Sunday. Ought to be sweet fellowship on Wednesday. Because we have Jesus in common. And look what he says in verse 17. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and those who were near. Who was afar off? The Gentiles. Those who were near? The Jews. The Jews had greater access to the truth. The Jews had the word of God. The Jews had the sacrifices. But Jesus came to bring peace both to those who were afar off and those who were near. And his heart was to see all of us reconciled under the cross of Christ. He came and preached peace to you who were afar off and those who were near, both to the Jews and to the Gentiles. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He preached peace. He didn't come to overthrow the Roman government, which is what the Jews wanted him to do. He came to bring peace with God and reconciliation with men. Verse 18, For through him, who's the him? That's Jesus. We have both access by one spirit to the Father. What do you see in that verse? The Trinity. Look what it says. Through him, that's Jesus, we have access by one spirit to the Father. Very clearly in that verse, you have the work of the Trinity. Through him, through Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life, we have the Spirit, one spirit. How many spirits are there? One. How many Holy Spirits? One. And so we all have the same Spirit of the living God dwelling within us. That's why we're so closely knit together. We have the Holy Spirit in common. I've met people in line at Disneyland that I'm closer to 15 minutes later when we get into the teacups <laughs> than I am people I've known my entire life. Why? Because we have Jesus in common. We have the same Spirit. My, my Spirit bears witness with their Spirit. And that's why I want to hang out with those people. I want to spend time with those people. Why? Because we're going to encourage and strengthen each other in our faith. The Bible says, forsake not the gathering yourselves together. And all the more as the day approaches. Why? Because we need to be encouraged and strengthened in our walk with the Lord. One group doesn't have greater access to God. Jews and Gentiles, same access, same gospel, same walk. Not about, again, being a completed Jew, but about being Christians. Brought near by what? Brought near by... I know those seats are comfortable. Brought near by what? The blood of Christ. Wow. I was excited till that happened. I thought you paying attention. So, we've been brought near by the blood. Our source of forgiveness, providing redemption. Our source of fellowship, reconciled to God. Finally, 
our sure foundation. Look what it says in verse 19. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. No longer strangers and foreigners. Again, a reference to the Christians of a Gentile background who were strangers and foreigners, but aren't anymore. They're not second-class citizens. They're not second-class Christians. They're Christians. Now all a part of the same foundation. Again, all at home with God. No longer strangers, no longer foreigners, but fellow citizens. Look what it says, verse 20. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Now, what is he talking about there? Now, I've had people use this to say this is why they pray to the saints, and that's not what he's talking about. The apostles and the prophets is speaking of the word of God. He says you're built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Who wrote the, who wrote the Bible? Holy Spirit, and whose hands did he use? The apostles and the prophets, amen? And so he's talking about God's word. So what is our foundation for our walk? Right here, guys. You've heard me say it 155th time. Read the book, don't wait for the movie, right? 66 books, 40 authors, three continents, three languages, 1,500 years, one central theme, no contradictions. How is that possible? God wrote it. Amen? And instead of running to the world, and walk, the Bible says to walk not in the counsel of the ungodly, instead of running to your unsaved friends, or you know, listening to what Oprah has to say, or turning to the world, or your horoscope, or anything else, all of which is not from God, why don't we take the love letter from Almighty God that He gave to us and put into our hands and seek counsel from Him? That's the foundation for your faith right here. When you start taking away from God's word, you are rejecting the God of the word. When you start saying, well, that verse doesn't really apply, and that's not really cultural anymore, and you know what? It all applies. Every bit of it. And you know what, guys? We can find the answers to every problem in life in this book right here. Right here. You know, I'm amazed. People's marriages are struggling. The first question I ask, you guys in the word together? No. You guys praying together? No. But you need to straighten her out. No, no. <laughs> Go home and read your Bible together and pray together. One out of every two marriages ends in divorce, and one out of every 1,054 marriages where the husband and wife pray together ends in divorce. You want to drop the divorce rate drastically? Start praying together. Amen? Start spending time in God's Word. Let it be the foundation of your life. Not your 401k plan, not your abilities, not your moral ethics, nothing else. The foundation is Christ and His Word. Look what it says, second half. Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone. Now, the Word of God is our foundation. It's not philosophy, it's not tradition, it's not human laws, it's not the wisdom of men, but guess what? The most important thing in the entire building is the cornerstone. Because if you remove the cornerstone, the whole building crumbles. Who's the cornerstone? Jesus Christ. So guess what? There is no salvation apart from Jesus Christ. I don't care how moral you've been, how ethical you've been. You can't get there through Buddha because he didn't die on the cross for you. You can't get there through Muhammad because he did not create the universe. It's Jesus Christ alone through whom we must be saved. Amen? And you know what? Today what's happening is people are making Christ less than he is and man more than he is. That's the definition of a cult. Make Christ less and make man more. That's a cult. 
We need to make Christ more and us less. Amen? We need to magnify and lift up His name. Deny ourselves, take up the cross, and follow Him. He's Lord. He's God. He's Savior. He's our King. He's the most important thing in the building. Without it, the building will crumble. Without Jesus, the whole thing crumbles. Without Jesus, there's no hope. There's no life. There's no peace. There's no eternity. There's no heaven. There's no forgiveness. There's no salvation. We can't have joy. But in Him, we have all of it. Amen? In Christ, that's where it is. Look at verse 21. In whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Again, we are the body of Christ, and we are fitted together as one body. That's who we are. And as one body. And can I encourage you guys? Can I say something? Let me share my heart with you guys. All right? I always step over here when I do this. Let me just say this. I so desperately want to see all of you using the gifts God's given you. God didn't save you to be a pew potato, amen? He didn't save us to be the biggest, baddest, fattest fed sheep on the planet, amen? You know what? There's so much more that God wants to do in and through us. And often we're just so busy doing everything else. Pursuing that which is good, we miss out on that which is best. You have gifts I don't have. You have gifts the other pastors don't have. You have gifts that nobody else here has maybe but you. We're all eyes, where would be the hearing, right? And I want to give you the opportunity to use those gifts. Now, at the same time, I will never ask you to do anything. And that frustrates people, I know. But let me tell you why I'll never ask you. Because if I ask you, you'll do it for me. I don't want you to do it for me, I want you to do it for the Lord. You know what, I have a heart to see Santa Cruz reach, and I, and I know that God will implant in your heart things I've never even thought about. If God's moving on your heart to do something, come tell me. Please. Let's all be active. It's not supposed to be the pastors ministering to the crowd. We're all in the ministry. Amen. All of us. From the moment you were saved, you were called. So you equip the saints for the what? The work of the ministry. The Dead Sea is dead. All inlet, no outlet, right? You want to be a salty, thick Dead Sea with nothing growing in it? Just keep... Right? We need to give some of this away. We need to use these gifts. And like, can I encourage you? Some people struggle. They go, but Pastor Dave, I don't know what my gifts are. And pray, and then you know what? It's okay. Step out. Step out. Dig a well. Something might spring up. If it doesn't, dig another one. Amen? I've been praying for 35 years for my gift. Do something. Amen? Do something. That's the Lord's heart, that we be busy about His work. We're all a part of the body of Christ. We've been knit together in Him. And it says there in verse 22, last verse, in whom you also being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. We come together as the body of Christ. We continue to grow as the body of Christ. And God through His Son brings us together, all types of material, Jews, Gentiles, slave, free, male, female, brings us all together with all different gifts and uses for His glory. And then I love this. It says a dwelling place of God. Where's the dwelling place of God? Right here. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit, amen? Almighty God lives in us. You know, that's a heavy-duty thing when you take God with you some of the places you go. Amen? That conviction, praise God for it. Okay, Lord, let's go do this. Oh, not good. 
Remember that God's with you. He loves you. He comforts you. He convicts you. He's a gracious God. And we are the, the spirit of living God dwells within us. We are a sure foundation. We're growing together in Christ. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So in closing, we've been brought near by the blood. Our position in Christ. In this, again, in this morning's text, Jesus is our source of forgiveness. He provided redemption from sin. He's our source of fellowship. He reconciled us back to God and man to each other. He's our sure foundation. He's the rock upon which we stand. You know what? I know that I'm going to heaven, not because of my good works, but because of my great God. I stand on Christ, on Him alone. I put my trust into Him. I put my faith in Him. And because of Him, and because he triumphed over sin and death, I know so too will I. And so too will you if you know him. Amen? So praise God. We've been brought near by the blood. May we, may we never take that for granted. May we be faithful to take the gifts he's given us and use it to reach out to others. May we not build up walls where God has torn them down. Amen? May we not put up walls with other Christians. But may we reach out to them in love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. We thank you for the, the truth of the cross of Christ. Lord, we thank you that we've been brought near not by our good works, but by your shed blood. Lord, I pray if there's anybody here that doesn't know you, Lord, open their eyes to the truth of who you are. May they not leave here, Lord, without you. Father, I ask that you'd remove the scales even now. Hadn't planned on doing this. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ, I'm not asking you to join Calvary Chapel. But you can know Jesus Christ before you leave here today. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We cannot get into heaven with one sin or we'd have earth part two. So Jesus came and suffered and died and paid the price for us that we can enter into heaven. Jesus has, has held out his hands and offered salvation to everyone who's here. If you're here and you don't know for sure that you're going to heaven, you can know for sure before you leave. Because the Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved to the glory of the Father. So for there to be salvation, there must be confession. We can't just believe that there is a God. We need to confess Him as God and ask Him to be our Savior. If you're here this morning and you want to know for sure that you're going to heaven, I'm going to ask you to make that public confession in a very simple way. I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand that I might pray with you. Is there anybody here at all you want to know for sure? Anybody at all? The Lord loves you. God bless you in the back. Anybody else? Anybody else? Today's the day of salvation, God's Word says. Is there anybody else? The Lord loves you guys. Eternity's hanging in the balance. Lord, open eyes. Anybody else? Lord, I lift up this one who's raised her hand. I just thank you for her father. I ask in Jesus' name, Lord, that as she comes before you, that she would simply confess her sins and know that you are her Savior. We thank you, Lord, as we come before you and say, Lord, I'm a sinner, please forgive me, that you're faithful and just to forgive us, that we have the promise of heaven. Lord, I pray for my sister, Lord, that your hand would be upon her, that she would grow in her relationship with you, that she would become a mighty woman of God, and Lord, that you would lead her by your spirit. You give her a hunger for your word. Lord, may she know the, the, the peace that surpasses all understanding as the Prince of Peace has come to dwell within her in the person of the Holy Spirit. Father, I thank you that your word says that when even one comes to know you, that all the angels in heaven rejoice. We thank you that there's a party up in heaven right now, that your kingdom's been added to. Father, for the rest of us, Lord, may we 
Be faithful to the calling you've placed upon our lives. May we have a burden for the lost. May your kingdom be added to. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.